Everything is changing so fast. I mean, back in my day, we were lucky if we could get one video to load. But now with the Xfinity 10G network, you can power a house full of devices at once with ultra-low lag. The future starts now. Restrictions apply. Actual speeds vary and not guaranteed. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everybody, welcome to a special episode of Wizard and the Bruiser podcast. It's me, your wily wizard, Jake, and uh, we have a very special guest on the line. Uh, you know, we like to have interviews when we can get them, and by sheer happenstance, I uh, happen to <laughs> know a person who knows a person who uh, got us to on the line with esteemed actress, uh, accomplished performer of the stage and screen, and uh, as relevant to our Battlestar Galactica episode, President Rosalind herself uh mary mcdonald how are you can you hear me or how are you on the line i can hear you and i'm very pleased to be here thank you so much um, nice to talk to um, you i it's very rare to have someone as esteemed as you on the show you have outpaced um a contestant on the lego <laughs> reality show and the creator of ducktales in our pantheon <laughs> Fantastic. I don't even know what you're talking about, but I know it's good. <laughs> and, uh, you know, our thing, when we did our research on Battlestar Galactica, especially uh, the reboot, you know, the, yeah. the ways that it subverted all these sci-fi tropes, the way it literally took what yeah. was a punchline, uh, you know, not to, I understand that our fans of the original series have to be handled with very much a lot of care. You know, uh, a, a lot of the early development of the show was about not directly yeah. antagonizing uh, the original fans. But, you know, uh, for, for most people, it was just kind of a throwaway 70s reference. And then creating something that has left such an impact is kind of amazing. What I wanted to yeah. ask you was, when you first got the role, you know, what were your preconceptions of what it meant to right. be on a standard sci-fi show, you know, a stock kind of space opera thing and all the things that come with it, the fears of being typecast, the fears of having to deal with, uh, you know, uh, lame scripts, all the, all the, all the, all the great uh, dramatic yeah. anxieties that go with such <laughs> a thing. And how is the reality of actually being on the show different? Well, it's a great question, Jake, first of all, but very frankly, I, I I had hardly any preconceptions because I really wasn't um, a sci-fi fan, and I had completely missed the uh, 70s Battlestar Galactica, what, was it 70s, is that the original? Was it? 78. You probably know better than I do. Okay, 78. So in 1978, I was doing off, 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 off Broadway, and I lived in a tiny apartment with no television, and when I wasn't 
acting in plays. I was, you know, selling fuller brush or waiting tables or whatever I could do. So uh, I missed the whole thing. For, so I just knew of Battlestar Galactica as an idea or something that happened. And I hadn't really spent a lot of time. I wasn't a Trekkie. Um, although I have learned so much about it in the ensuing decades since Battlestar came out. And so to me, it was kind of, I went to lunch, um, at my agents at lunch. It sounds cliche. It's Fargo and Beverly Hills, but it's true. And they said, we have a script for you. We have an offer for this reboot of something. I said, oh, good. What is it? And they said, well, we're not sure how you're going to feel about it. It's, you know, and then they told me, and I, I kind of giggled. I just couldn't put me together with sort of the sci-fi world, even with the little knowledge that I had. It, it seemed a little bit too pristine for me. I'm the, I was seen as the Earth Mother kind of person. So I didn't understand it at all. You know, prairie Indians to sci-fi, it didn't make sense. And I said, but I'd love to read it. Of course, I read everything that is offered. If there's money attached, I read it. And so, <laughs> and so I read it that night. And I, I remember sitting in the chair in my room where I read, and I put it down, and I just closed my eyes and went, oh, my God, I have to do this. This is fracking great. You know, it's just, it's, it, it was so clear to me. One read, and I was in. That's all it took, because everything about it seemed relevant. Um, the story, the, 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 the story of survival, the story of pursuit, the story of occupation, everything that it implied, even in the miniseries. Um, a woman who, who uh, uh, is thrust into power without bad aspiration, who doesn't even know if she has the internal scaffolding, to be able to uh, uh, facilitate a position of power. I mean, literally all of everything about it had a kind of in-the-moment resonance. And I just felt very strongly that for me to turn away from it for any reason whatsoever would have been absolutely foolish. So it was crystal clear, and the only thing I asked for, well, I asked a couple things. I asked... If I could sit down with the director and the producers, because if I was going to be spending years in Vancouver, I wanted to make sure I liked the people. And um, so we had breakfast, I think, like the next morning or two days later. And then I asked Ron Moore, I said, well, is this role, um, is this a couple of episodes? Because, of course, you know, she's dying from the first moment. Um, or is this a, a long-term gig here? I'd like to know. And he said very quietly in that thoughtful Ron Moore way, he said, oh, no, no, I, I, I think she'll, she'll be around until the very end when we find Earth. And he was true to his word, correct? <laughs> and I said, but Ron, how is that going to happen? And he said, I'm not sure, but I do know she will go into remission. He, he you know, he's very honest. He's, have you ever interviewed Ron or um, met Ron more? Oh, I would, he I mean. gracious. I mean, he's so brilliant and gracious, but he's extremely humble. So, 
he doesn't ever sort of speak the Hollywood showrunner speak, if you know what I'm saying. It's sort of like there's nothing like resonates about Ron Moore. And so he was sincerely answering my question without realizing how profound that was to me that he already knew he could keep this character who hadn't even been in the original alive through many seasons. Do you know what I'm saying? I was just like, wow. Well, <laughs> that you mentioned you you mentioned something interesting there uh, because I never I would love the chance to interview Ron, but uh, all I had to work on was uh, you know footage of him at various uh, talks and panels and uh, you know oral histories yeah. and behind the scenes gossip, and he is he does seem yeah. ex- extremely passionate and extremely matter of fact. Yeah. Um, you know the yeah. idea of. Uh, you said, you know, the showrunner speak, the kind of behind the scenes politics, yeah. the kind of things that can make a show feel like less than a labor of creativity and love. But he yeah. is very much yeah. of a of a kind of uh, Generation X brash style of storyteller. He's not afraid to kind of just oh god yeah. uh, do what's cool. And there is... Oh, completely. There is a level of, you said, Earth Mother about the character of Rosalind. There is a right. warmth and vulnerability without yielding mm-hmm. any of the competence and assuredness and, um, I guess, presidential energy. Uh, this is something mm. my fiance was like, you're talking to Mary, you have to ask her about this. Oh, bless her. In behind the scenes reportage. Uh, you were yeah. highlighted as someone that was uh, very verbal and the most uh, communicative with the writers, with Ronald, about... Uh, oh, I drove them freaking nuts. I drove the writers crazy. <laughs> so would it be... Go ahead, I'm sorry. No, no. So would it be um, too much to say that, you know, in this very... I don't, you know, I, obviously these are brilliant people and there were lots of women on staff, but like in this oh, testosterone yeah. gritty future... Uh, you kind of helped yeah. usher what made Rosalind stand out as a character in some ways. Well, I think that's always true if you're if you're having a, a collaboration that's of a high tone, you know. And I think every great writer would say that 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 the work they did with actors uh, collaboratively um, steered the course together. Do you know what I'm saying? So I, I do think that that Ron and, and the, the staff, the, all the writers, they were very extremely open to one's offering. I do think I'm, I drove them a little crazy because with Rosalind, I was super, um, I wouldn't say the word was exactly paranoid, but it bordered it, I'll be honest with you, because she had to walk a very fine line. And the politics of our country at the time, you know, it was a really tricky moment. I mean, thank God we were, that's over. You know, we were, oh yeah, I know, right? It, it seems like uh, it seems like uh, Care Bears compared to now, but <laughs> not really, but a little bit, if you know what I mean. And so I was very. It became very clear that Rosalind was going to have to make some very uh, controversial decisions, and we were going through the George Bush years, you know, or we were coming out of them. And I knew that she was going to have to carry some of that load. Uh, to I knew she was going to have to create policy and she was going to have to react in ways that could be viewed as fear-based 
and not progressive because they were in an instinctual kind of survival route. I wanted to make sure that I gave her layers so that she wasn't just the, you know, sort of female George Bush in this particular story with the very, you know, humane commander who took on actually some of the feminine of the story. Do you know what I'm saying? And because she was off alone on her own a great deal, particularly in the beginning of the show in the first season, she was always over there sitting on Colonial One. So I wasn't even acting with cast. Do you know what I mean? I would see very few cast members. <laughs> and, and, and so I had to, I felt, I had to work really hard to take and her writing was so economical. I had to make sure that I understood that what she was saying wasn't um, was rooted in, and layered and, and, and more deeply um, uh, grooved inside of me so that I could be free with her and have confidence. And what that ended up doing, I think, I know this is very long-winded, what that ended up doing is it, it gave Rosalind and myself this um, quality of um, sort of insecurity because of the unknown, but a kind of inner confidence that she kept growing stronger with. That was probably innate. I don't know if I answered your question. No, or if, that's, if you even asked me one at this point, I'm often running. I'm that's like, brilliant. <laughs> How dare you offer trenchant and revelatory insight into a beloved property? No, don't stop. Why? Um, that's, no, it's, uh, again, I have to, I have to mention my, uh, beloved fiance. She wanted yeah, to point out, um, Marie, I love her very much. Um, Marie, I love the name. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's because you left that insecurity and you left those layers in. It was a, it was a yeah. genuinely revelatory and unheard of portrayal of a woman in power. That, uh, you know, oh, wow, thank you. Uh, you know, uh, uh, Eddie almost could yeah. draw on Patton, he could draw on all sorts of authority figures. Uh, you know, the action guys could draw on action hero stereotypes, but Rosalind, I, I honestly like it's 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 a very unique character. Yeah. Is, um, is there yeah. were, could you point to any like inspirations or, or figures or performances that helped you inform it or no I it's a great question um you you just you and Maria <laughs> are going right into the center of uh Rosalind I I don't think I did you know I don't think I had anyone to look to um except I understood that she represented most of the women of my generation because most of the women of my generation were not raised as children. I, I was born in the early 50s. I came from a great family of very competitive women with a dad who said, you can do anything you want. Mm. Thank God. <laughs> and and we were athletes. We were swimmers before we could walk. You know, it was like, okay. But I would say that in a general sense, we did not, women of my age did not grow up with an internal infrastructure that supported their confidence in the in the realm of behavior in power. It's not saying women weren't powerful, but when it came to uh, statesmanship and politics and leading, there weren't a lot of examples and it wasn't ingrained. And so a great deal of women that I experienced in my lifetime grew into their power either sort of through some event, 
such as what happened with Rosalind, or or something in the culture eventually turned over as we're seeing the results of now. Now we have a gazillion. I mean, just look at Nancy Pelosi, who was probably trained in power from a very young age because she's a genius at it. But she's releasing like a lot of women <laughs> to be able to understand what they, you know, I feel a little bit like Dorothy, you know, I had it all along. <laughs> you know what I mean? So... I I do believe that Rosalind was extraordinary by by way of Ron Moore understanding that this had to be an accidental leader. Mm. Because, first of all, culturally, we are still not allowing a woman to be president. Think about it. So this is 2000, what, 2001? And we went through the whole um, uh, Hillary Clinton, Barack Obama, you know, primary and everything. And I and I love Barack Obama, but I was absolutely for Hillary and then went right to Barack. But I remember going through that and watching Hillary as I was playing Rosalind. So I did get to get a little bit stronger by watching Hillary. And this you know was, what I mean? so like, that would be 2006. Eight. That's towards the end of the show where your character was going through a lot of changes. Yes, yeah. and I, but I, but I was also honestly, I grew up with Hillary Clinton, so I, I've been very aware of her. Um, there are many feminists that had um, influence over me, Mary, but none of them fit the Rosalind template mm-hmm. because they had ambition. And Rosalind was an was apparently an extraordinary educator. We think. But that's where she wanted to be. She never would have aspired to be the president. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and thus making her the only the kind of person we wish would be president. Veering yeah. from uh, the unfortunate past and the unfortunate currents of politics. Yeah. I uh, rewatching the show, obviously, for our history. At the time, I was a younger man. I was one of the, you know what? I I need to make my soul clean. I was one of the uh, rueful little worms that were uh, pirating the show off of the British broadcast so I could watch it before it aired in America. Yeah, yeah, no, I I, I get it. Thank you. Thank you. It's just been weighing heavily so much on me. And oh, I, no, 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 listen, Jake, you don't have to worry about it. I go to conventions all over the world. I've met a lot of you. <laughs> Is that a common thing? Do people have to bear their sin? Yeah, people tell you everything. Oh. Um, <laughs> anyway. But, you know, on the, I, I was, I didn't really, you know, I wasn't watching it on a nice big TV. I wasn't watching it with the wisdom of age. And now watching it, it really is, you know, you and Eddie are these true actors like just gravity pouring out of every frame of the tv and Mm -hmm. all of these children all these baby faces kind of (laughs) scurrying around with their little problems um what what i'm trying to get to (laughs) is uh you know the cast has repeatedly talked about how you know oh we were such a family on set you know uh eddie and mary were you know such leaders we learned so much from them they were so supportive you know i i feel like having covered a lot of this stuff Almost any troop of actors will be familial. You know, everybody kind of, it's such a growing experience. It has to be bonding. But was there something about Battlestar Galactica that made it an especially cohesive experience? Like, was it a true? Yes. Okay. How so? Okay. A couple of things. One is if you look at the timing of it. So we were all still traumatized by September 11th. 
when we started this venture. And so there was some, you know, that feeling. It, were you in New York on September 11th, Jay? Uh, yes, I was in high school okay. in, a, in the suburbs. Okay. So, but you understand how there was a feeling, of, a familial feeling for a long time. Um, we're having it a bit now, except we can't do it in person. <laughs> we're doing it through technology. We're all in this together kind of feeling when you're coming through a very difficult, frightening cultural event. And so we were all personally in that kind of state when this began. And I think that that, that helps you be more real to your fellow man, you know, to your, we, we all just wanted to be a part of telling something that could help people feel uh, either not alone or braver or, um, or felt like, oh, well, September 11th was really tricky, but these people have to jump every 33. <laughs> That's really even worse, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like we knew everybody had that feeling we're doing something as a group. And so the family starts from the story and the politics. And then I would say that Eddie, I, I, I would turn to Eddie, um, he came in with a kind of leadership that I had, I had witnessed. Uh, Kevin Costner had it on Dances with Wolves. He was the writer, director, producer, and star, and he had this uh, just off the charts leadership that allowed hundreds of people to follow him into the prairie and go through a lot. Well, Eddie brought the same kind of thing, except in a different style, and he brought a, a real confidence in what he felt this story could become to the culture. And so um, that was an element. And then a third element, I felt, was our director, Michael Reimer, this brilliant, brilliant director who, who became one of our producers, whose his vision as a director was also very responsible in the evolution of what Battlestar looked like and felt like. And Michael had a wonderful ability to, um, to make us care about each other. And he was extraordinary with these uh, phenomenally talented but inexperienced a lot new actors who I feel that with another director may not have blossomed as quickly. They all just, they all just like opened up like the best day of spring. It was like, oh, I thought you had a little bit of talent, but I'm, oh my God, are you great? You know, is that watching these people just gain confidence. And a lot of that I felt came from, yes, Eddie, and I guess a little bit myself, we were there as, um, kind of uh, a grounding force for the younger actors who didn't always have the confidence that the performance they were turning in was wonderful. So it was always really exciting to be able to say to that actor, that's enough. You just <laughs> did it. You know, you, it, it, that's more than enough. You can go to the bar and have a drink and feel good. Do you know what I mean? Because young actors don't know what they've done. That's the difference. People like Eddie and I could do a couple of takes. We knew which one was good. Do you know what I mean? We just yeah. do. We've done it over and over. But they didn't know that yet. So I think um, it was really wonderful to be able to feedback to the younger actors the 
beautiful work they were doing and try and support their confidence. But And Michael Reimer gave them just great confidence. But all of this was happening fast, and it was happening at once, and there was just a feeling of we're doing something together that could have meaning. And I think when actors feel like their work matters, they bond more closely. They they care about each other more. They care about, they get closer to the crew. They get closer to everyone. And the producers were flying in and out of LA. There was always producers on set, so we never felt abandoned. And we just felt like we were doing something that, that might make a difference to people. And I think that's why you walk away from it, having known, knowing you have a family for life, you know, and we do. That's real. That's actually very real. There's great, great love. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Another strength of the show is that kind of metatextual, it's definitely not the right word, but I'm going to say metatextual oh, thing no, where these, these young actors are in fact coming out of their shells and like really just like, uh, I just by leaps and bounds, expanding these characters yeah. and expanding their, the humanity that they're showing on screen, almost in direct correlation to the trials that those characters are going through in the plot and so right. those changes right. read not just as like oh i guess they learned to stop doing that thing with their face it's like oh this character has <laughs> like really matured and has like grown into an adult yeah. in these harrowing trial it's it's actually kind of brilliant how those two almost work one to one see i think shake and that that in a television series particularly that it, it if you have that evolution of the Self and the character together, that's where you get the good work. You, you can see that when you watch, go back and watch The West Wing. You know, you watch, you watch these amazing people and characters grow together in their expertise. Talking about the, the uh, experience, the, the, the so much happening on, the, on those sets in Vancouver, um, is there a particular scene or even just a setup that, like, comp- you know, uh, the production famously like made the decision that the Cylons aren't going to be human for the sake of simplifying the production for the most part, you know, not having people in suits or having people try and talk to a tennis ball on a stick that they'll add in CG and post. Yeah. But there is still a lot of effects yeah. happening, a lot of intricate sets, a lot of MacGuffins, a lot of whooshy glowing things. Is there a particular yeah. a, a scene that was the most technically complicated, the most challenging, the most kind of just like, what are we actually doing? This is like, what what felt the most ridiculous at the time? The day on the set that I felt, um, I think a little bit of what you're, you're asking, was the day that we shot, um, and I'm terrible. I mean, I know people who watch the show, they know every episode's name. I never know any episode's name. I don't even remember the name of planets, but we, um, we landed on the Earth that wasn't Earth. Mm-hmm. And it was also, ironically and interestingly, 
the day that the uh, the strike occurred, the writer strike began. Oh yeah. And so we were in this strange apocalyptic set, like we were out on this thing with destruction all around us and a kind of depressing feeling of, oh, what happened? We thought this was our salvation, but this is a destroyed planet and where are we? Do you know what I'm saying? That's sort of what we were doing as characters. In the meantime, all the actors had their cell phones in their pockets. <laughs> and after every, and, and I'm not kidding, and, and quite often we did not bring our cell phone, like we, mm-hmm. we, well, we couldn't get Eddie to give his up, but everybody else um, tried to not have their cell phones be a part of this. But what happened was we were at some scene and it was very depressing and then they said, cut. And there must have been 15 of us on the set spread out. It was a long shot, or they might have been doing an overhead. And I looked up, and every single actor pulled out their cell phone and either got on it or started reading something, talking to their agents or their managers about the future of the industry. Yeah. <laughs> and it once again, it was sort of this destructive moment or this moment where things were going to be pulled put on hold that aren't turning out the way you thought in reality and we were on the set that mirrored that and I remember thinking this is both a brilliant moment and this is hard to get through because we can't just uh, we don't know what's going to happen to us you know what I mean or this show or but that that day really sticks out in my mind as something that was complex emotionally as well as physically on the set. So uh, I guess it's your career has been fascinating. You've been the mainstream Oscar nominated uh, film actress. Mm -hmm. You've been the indie darling in the countercultural hit with movies like Donnie Darko. You've been the genre Mm -hmm. television uh, breakout star. Uh, You've been the, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, syndicated crime drama star. Um, yeah. All of those are kind of different realities. These, those, you know, the, all those kind of are kind of people yeah. kind of consider those uh, set paths that you fall into as an actor, and you've managed to yeah. embody all of those worlds. Um, which one? I, I guess. I guess I can't say favorite, but yeah, I, I, it is kind of favorite, isn't it? Or, or maybe if we're. I'll tell you what I feel. Um, I feel the most productive in uh, in our television in, in series drama series, mm-hmm. and I I never really felt I was in a genre show when I was in Battlestar because it was so very real and human and grounded. Although I don't know why I didn't feel like it. I was sitting on an airplane looking <laughs> out a window that was a black outer space with stars a uh, day in and day out you know what I said? well i should have understood that this was a little different but it didn't feel different it doesn't these things didn't they all these jobs that you just referred to um i like the style of television a great deal because it goes back to my roots in the theater which when you when you do new plays which i my early all of the early years of my career, I became an actress by doing new plays off off Broadway and working very closely with writers, 
day in and day out and having writers rewrite on the spot when you're developing a new play. So those were my roots. That's how I learned how to act. That's what I thought it all was supposed to be. Do you know what I'm saying? So I went from that to regional theater, which was a little bit different because then I was doing classics and there wasn't there wasn't a playwright even there. And then you go. Then I was suddenly in Hollywood doing my first camera thing in Hollywood was a sitcom. And that felt kind of familiar because there was a live audience. So I know what that is, you know. And so in every area, there's always something that's familiar from something before. But when I finally started doing uh, television series, dramatic television series, that's when I felt like this is maybe what I like best. I like to work fast. I don't like to plan. I like to research. <laughs> uh, that's, that's, that's why I drove the writers crazy, because I would just ask the most insane, ridiculous questions. I said, why is this a question mark as opposed to a statement? Because I wanted to know what they were thinking and see if, you know, but I, but I do that kind of work so that I am free when it's time to shoot and so that I don't have um, a script supervisor coming to correct me in the middle of, a take and say, oh, you didn't say that right. That's not what the writer wrote, which, by the way, is done kind of um, historically, not not with Battlestar, not necessarily to me, but historically in Hollywood, women uh, in the past have gotten away with less when it comes to not saying the words as written. Mm. And you can ask any any actress in the world what they think about that um it's not even conscious you know what i mean but if you like if eddie said a line that wasn't written no one's going to question the alpha male (laughs) and it's not going to happen if if i said a line that wasn't written there would be a discussion about it and also because laura roslin was brand new and we didn't know who she was and it took great bravery on the part of ron moore do you know what I'm saying? So I feel like I just got lost. What what did you ask me to begin with? No, <laughs> that, was, that was, again, I stumble fumble and you're like, okay, this, this weirdo just wants insights. Here we go. Um, no, I was going to tell it. No, you did ask me something really specific and I had a point, but I wandered off into women and men. Um, um, I guess uh, I tried to make a differentiation between shows like Battlestar Galactica and shows like, say, The oh, Closer. Yes. All right. And I'm you were good. like, you know All what? Right. They're not that Thank different. You. No, you know, I could have just said that, couldn't I? <laughs> what I want. <laughs> it's all TV. I'll try and finish my long-windedness. <laughs> it's all TV. No, I think what's great about what you're asking and what I love thinking about is that when I finally landed on doing um, our television, doing drama, I, I think it's the perfect combination of working with writers, shooting quickly, being able to be in the moment, shooting in front of a camera, which I'm... I think I am more comfortable with um, than performing live, and I don't know why. Uh, and just sort of the family feeling that grows on a set because you're with each other hopefully for years. That's different. You're not with a film crew for years. You're with a film crew for months, and that's wonderful. But this, the crews on these shows, if you have a good run, and like Major Crimes and Battlestar back-to-back, I had like, you know, 12 years of television. 
I got to know these people well, like like normal people's jobs, you know, where you work with the same people for years and you get to know, you see babies being born and you see children graduating from high school and you see people losing their parents and you meet people's dogs and you... And I, that's really a good, healthy, wonderful blessing for me. And it makes me, makes me happy to go to work. So I'm going to finish that answer with that. <laughs> I guess um, to wrap up, I, I'm still kind of, uh, I'm kind of fascinated with the idea of someone with your dramatic background, uh, you know, being uh, put on, put into the science fiction ringer, even though it was as different, yeah. you know, the I'm not Spock syndrome, all of that. So what I want to ask is, um, what is yeah. a question you never want to hear again at a convention Q&A panel? What's your favorite scene? Mm-hmm. What is, you know, when, when people ask, what is your favorite, you know, what, I can't remember any of them. I mean, I remember them, but I don't remember what they're called. So I don't know how to answer. But I don't, honestly, to be perfectly honest with you, I think your question I think you're asking me, have I been asked anything sort of typically sort of sci-fi strange over and over again? Is is that kind of what you're asking that I wasn't used to because I wasn't in the genre prior? Maybe, maybe not that, but just that, you know, it, it is a, <laughs> it is, it is, it is its own racket. It is a grind. It is kind of, uh, yeah. uh, you know, you go from San Diego to Chicago to regional conventions to, yeah. and it, it yeah. you know, it kind of blurs together at a certain point. And I'm just, I'm just letting people know if they ever get a chance Obviously not those weirdos that okay. are like, I have a comment. Nobody likes when you have a comment. <laughs> yes, I know. Right. No, I'll tell you the question that is asked a great deal. And um, I never know how to answer it, but I, I, don't, I don't mind being asked it because it just speaks to, the, uh, I guess, the relationship between Adama and Rosalind. But people always want to know, you know, what really was the nature of their romantic uh, relationship? <laughs> and what would have happened, you know, had had she not died? And what, you know, they, they really like to push open the potential for that romance. And I always get so tickled by it because we know, we, how often do we have people of a certain age who create romance for <laughs> the public? I mean, that just doesn't happen a lot. You know what I'm saying? And I just found that that was, um, that was a real gift. That's a real, some of those things that are asked over and over again at conventions are actually a great gift because you, you get to glimpse, you get real, wow, you really get to see very clearly what the product meant. And that's a difference. Prior to Battlestar, I'd never done a convention. I mean, yes, I'd been to Comic-Con, you know, with other products, but it wasn't necessarily in the genre field. It, it's been so invigorating to be able to go around the world and hear directly what this story that Ron created, what it means to people, and to do that again and again and be invited back. So like, oh, they want me to come back to Germany again? <laughs> they want to talk more? Oh, my God, aren't the Germans cool? And they really, really are cool. And you start to understand different cultures and their priorities. And I remember the first time we did um, 
I think it was Germany, actually, and Jamie Bamber and I were on the stage, and the audience was asking us the most political questions that I ever thought that anyone would ever, I never imagined I would be in the position to have to answer any of this, because they get you a little mixed up with your characters, so, you know, whatever. But I remember being so grateful for it because I got to know the body of people that I was sitting in front of so well, because everyone, we we just started drawing the politics out of the room or into the room and people started to talk about how they really felt about things. And it just that kind of exchange that that is part of my life now with the fans, I have never experienced in my very long career <laughs> until the past decade. And it has been a long career. Seriously, I've been doing it for 40 years, and I never experienced anything like this kind of understanding and relationship to fans the way I do now because of Battlestar and major crimes in its own way because technology changed during those years. And, you know, fans have become part of our everyday lives now as opposed to when it was coming up in the business Actors were these mysterious creatures that you only got to see once or twice a year if you stood in the street when they were walking, you know, on a red carpet. Well, that has changed, right? But Battlestar Galactica was, I, we were doing Battlestar as things were changing. Mm. If you look at the pilot, it was shot in film. And then you look at the first episode and it was shot in high def video. And right away there was a huge change mm-hmm. in what it felt like, the reality level. And we just kind of lived through all of that. And the conventions just make that more apparent that it's given me a great, um, a stronger feeling about who we're doing this for. And I like that. That's incredible. <laughs> it's very, I mean. I have this picture of you like with your with your chin in your hand going, when is she going to ne- well, Again, this oh, is, dude. these are, these, I, it's very, very rare that I get to work on something or at least release something that I feel like has, uh, you know, true insights that, you know, we didn't just find mm-hmm. off of a uh, wiki, wiki article. So I'm very grateful <laughs> yeah. for your time. Um, I've taken enough of it, uh, of your time as we've, been talking now for a little bit um i hope you have a very safe and uh wholesome quarantine social distance uh self yeah. time um and i want to yeah thank, you too jake <laughs> uh i want to thank everyone for listening and um mary is there is there any thoughts or anything uh you want our listeners to know before we uh log out well i just want to say say what you just said, which is I, I hope everybody is staying safe and staying distant. It's it's really we've got to do this together right now. We can't we can't break ranks. Um we'll get a handle on this, but not if we uh not if we don't have the uh fortitude to stick with it. So I encourage everyone to do that and um my heart is with all those people who've lost people. I just think about them every day as we all do. So thank you for the privilege of being able to speak about this today. I love talking. (laughs) So say we all love talking. Um, So say we all, yeah. (laughs) Have a good one. Thank you so much. 
This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.